Hello and welcome to Galactica Actually. I'm Jamie Smith and my flaws are personal, not professional. <laughs> that, that's a line from the episode. It truly is. And <laughs> joining me is my co-host Diallo Jackson. Hey people, what's up? How, you How doing, would Jamie? you? I'm good. How would you categorize your flaws? Uh, I mean, they run the gamut, I have both <laughs> professional and personal. That's why I'm at where I'm at. <laughs> I'm sure I have professional issues as well, but I'm not going to talk about those. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica season one, episode three, Bastille Day. But first, we have some programming news. Diana, yeah. would you like to tell our listeners what that is? Um, we have joined the Geekscape Network, where you will be able to find our podcast moving forward. Um, you'll still be able to find it on uh, all your favorite platforms, but um, we will be joining forces with Geekscape, and um, hopefully it will be a really great relationship um, to get our podcast out to more of you Cylon agents that are listening. (laughs) (laughs) I think the main difference will be that there'll be some ads, the beginning and the end, maybe the beginning or the end. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work out. Yeah, there'll be a, there'll be a couple of the, I think there's one in the beginning and a few at the end. And um, to anyone wondering or curious, it's not, it's not intrusive. It's nothing um, like watching, um, Tubi or <laughs> a streaming show where you have to get uh, the same commercial over and over and over again. But it, um, yeah, they'll, they'll, so they'll be at the beginning and the end. Um, but then other than that, you'll have uh, our two lovely voices singing sweet Galactica nothings in your ear. Um, not singing, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never catch me singing. Well, I sing all the time. That's all I do. Oh, I do. In the car yeah. where only I can hear. I'm at, I look, I'll be at the gym and one of my classes and the music's on and I just, I'll be singing in the middle doing something. That's just, <laughs> probably think there's something wrong with me, which I have <laughs> professional and personal problems. So <laughs> there we go. So getting into the episode, we start again for the second week in a row with Colonel Ty waking up and uh, this time he's struggling with his alcohol addiction. Last time he was looking for his sash and struggling Mm -hmm. with his alcohol addiction. Yeah. (laughs) It was like, yeah, this time he, uh, I mean, it was like really tied into the opening and his sort of his arc for the episode because... This time he was actually doing, uh, taking shots. Yeah. He allowed, it looks like he started with like, I'm going to allow myself myself one, but he ended mm-hmm. up with two and they're definitely shots. So like if it were me and I did two shots of straight booze, I would not be working for sure because <laughs> yeah. I'm... I'm not an alcoholic, so my tolerance is very low, and I would 
to be a terrible leader. Yeah. I, it, it, like, kind of thematically, it was interesting for me because it's like kind of showing you a little bit that things have sort of like toned down, at least, or at least they're approaching things as um, whatever situation they're in as normal now mm-hmm. or approaching normal. So he's like reverting back to the person that he was um, when the ship was kind of loosey-goosey and um, and uh, when the ship was going to be decommissioned, uh, yeah. which actually becomes part of the plot as we move on. <laughs> so. Slightly, yes. Yeah. Um, he meets with Chief Callie and Sosinus, who we have not met Sosinus before this episode, but he will be important later. Mm-hmm. They reveal that the water on the planet is not mostly salt water, but like 13% salt water, which Ty immediately was like, well, we can't drink salt water. <laughs> and that's my Ty. Um, <laughs> and Chief's like, yeah, that's why I had Callie test the ice. And so they can mine this ice and melt it down and bring it back up. I assume back to the Galactica so that they can fill up their tanks and be able to use their recycling system and distribute water the way they had been. But it was a it was a great way to do exposition for <laughs> how the how they're gonna get the water. Yeah. It was it was a great it was a great excuse to do the exposition there. Um and peppering it with uh like little uh Thai witticisms uh, <laughs> maybe we'll make lemonade you know that kind of yeah. stuff so um this is a huge job though it's gonna take at least a thousand men to do it i'm sure women can too but they said men <laughs> did they fix the ship i'm assuming they must have fixed the portion Wait. of the tanks that exploded um yeah probably i mean that's so it hasn't been very long. Yeah, they yeah they didn't really say, but I mean in that I mean it could have just been in the process or in the works. I don't know. Or they are going to use the existing tanks that they have and just I don't know, stay near this moon. Uh, who knows? It. They didn't go into all of that detail. The point is, they have found water and they're figuring out a way to get that water to the Galactica. They need all these people, which leads us to the Astral Queen, where there are a bunch of prisoners that were being transported. And Adama is like, cool, we'll just give these, get these prisoners to go down there and do it since they're sentenced to hard labor anyway. And Roslyn is like, mm, that sounds like slave labor. And we're not doing slaves. Yeah, she was, it was um, kind of, it was interesting this episode because it was almost in contrast. Well, I don't know. I'm second guessing myself now, but um, she was very uh, like strident this time and very like very firm of, um, morally about what they wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought it was a contrast to the previous episode, I think. Um and it's interesting, and it kind of just shows you, um, like, where her moral center lies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
like like who doesn't agree with that but then the you know the greatness of the show is always like you know okay like we don't agree with slave labor um but also if we don't get this water we're gonna die so that's about figuring out how they're gonna come to whatever compromise they can come to well yes although lee seems to be the only one who has the idea of compromise and Mm -hmm. has to sell this Mm -hmm. like we'll we'll let them do the work and gain their freedom with a point system yeah every time he's such a he's such a nerd (laughs) (laughs) every time he says uh I don't know. We'll give them, like, points. <laughs> uh, it just makes me laugh. He's just so, like, his 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 idealism is so yeah. naive. Yeah. It's just... But he's not wrong. Like, they were being taken to Caprica for parole hearings, which mm-hmm. would lend the idea that these guys are no longer dangerous or they're rehabilitated and let's give them a chance because, you know, we're rebuilding our society. Mm-hmm. And this way, we both win. We all win. They get, we don't have a court system to give them parole hearings, but we can give them their freedom. They have to earn it this way. So we still get our workforce and nobody is forcing them to be that workforce. It's their choice. Right. I don't know if at the end it ended up being their choice since they, you know, pulled a riot. So (laughs) then it seems like it's really, no, now you're going to do this. Yeah. And you'll earn your points. But now you don't have the choice of whether you you want to go and do the labor. You're just going to. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, once they they lost any sort of, like, moral ground once they did have the riot. Um, but the name of the episode is called Bastille Day, and um, that sort of, like, gives you an idea of the justness um, of their riot so that there is some sort of, like, leeway or redemption for them um, toward the end, um, which gives us the compromise that we get. I don't actually know much about the French Bastille Day. Um, I know it's in July, but I don't mm-hmm. know. I know it had to do with something to do with prisons, but I, I actually don't know. Yeah, it was, a uh, you know, because I'm not French, but I think it's that they stormed the prisons. Um, and it was it's closely tied with the French Revolution. Um, yeah, so there, so that in, in that way, it's sort of like, you know, showing that, um, you know, especially with Garrick, um, Tom, I'm sorry, Tom Zarek, (laughs) I mean, I was using D, D, Deep Space Nine brain, um, (laughs) uh, with Tom Zarek, uh, the, a lot of the conversations he and Apollo have, um, lend itself to that idea of, um, you know, the justness of revolution, um, and even some of the conversations that, um, like, uh, uh, Billy and D are having around that stuff is mm-hmm. a, kind of on that topic. Um, in some ways it actually kind of reminded me of, um, uh, Les Mis. Uh, I've never actually seen Les Mis. Um, 
I won't I won't go into my feelings on Les Mis, but it's not my favorite. <laughs> uh, Nelson Mandela, actually, okay. what I was thinking of. Yeah, so um, he's pretty much revered, um, obviously, uh, now, but he, you know, like, he was positioned as a terrorist by the people in power, and so they sort of examine that idea with Zarek. It's a pretty okay. interesting conversation. Yeah. I mean, it does sound like Zarek was a terrorist, though. Yeah. That, that, I, don't, I don't know if Nelson Mandela was going out bombing Johannesburg. Yeah. What I'm saying is that they're examining that yeah. relationship. I'm not saying that they are the same at all. I hope I don't get canceled. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I don't think... <laughs> so Adama thinks that Lee should pick a side and Lee didn't know that sides needed to be picked to which Adama says that's why he hasn't picked one yet yeah but I, I, I don't know why Adama thinks that sides need to be picked here like the president is not working against you. You guys are not adversaries. So why is he treating it like they are? I, you know what? I, I think that it's tied a little bit into sort of like the natural um, tribalism that we have. So, um, you know, even, <laughs> even if you have a job and um you know, full-time job, and then you do something on the side, like, your boss might think that you're not, like, giving your full attention to it. It's, like, a little bit of that. Um, and also, she is... She does represent an opposition of sorts. Like, Adama, obviously, is, like, doing his best to work with them, but he i think he can kind of sense uh, that you know um you know should there be some sort of coming to heads between the two he's actually going to be compromised and he's he's right Who, luckily Lee? uh no adama so if they come to heads adama's going to be compromised no Lee, oh yeah i'm sorry yeah lee will be compromised and okay. adama is right um, but well, yeah. we're actually, but we're actually glad that Lee was compromised because you know he kind of does the right thing all the time, and we need him to do that when <laughs> things do break down. So, but yeah, I think that's that was like the the purpose of that. And again, like knowing like knowing where where this heads, it seeing it through those eyes, it's uh, I think they use this line um, multiple. They use it later in this episode. Um, about picking sides, and then um, there's uh, Lee says it back to Adama. I think toward the end of the season, so mm. definitely, definitely something to be wary of. Okay. Rosalind wants Billy to go um, with Lee. I guess it's determined that Lee is going to go talk to the prisoners. Rosalind wants Billy to go as her representative. Adama wants a military representative. So Billy suggests D, <laughs> which Rosalind teases him about later. Yeah. <laughs> and before she leaves, Rosalind inquires about the doctor, claiming that she's got allergies. So she just needs to see the doctor. 
Which, it's like, how do you have allergies? I thought about your... that. Like, I guess it could be dusty. Yeah, it could be dusty, for sure. It just, you know. But I guess yeah. also, like, the, the flimsiness of the excuse is actually kind of is the part that tells us that she's, like, desperate to find the doctor, you know. So yeah, but we know why. But yeah. I think her very quick, um, very firm answer of allergies it didn't play like she was lying to mm-hmm. someone who doesn't know. She just, she, she's very good at covering at this point before she starts taking Kamala. She's very good at covering. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Lee and the team, which also includes Callie goes to the astral queen. Um, the captain of the ship, calls himself a bus driver not a warden and that he does not know the names of the prisoners they are only referred to by their prison numbers which is kind of gross they're still people they shouldn't be referred to as numbers i mean i've never been to jail knock on wood (laughs) Um, i haven't either and i don't think that this is like not quite like uh holocaust camps yeah but reducing people to numbers rather than their names and identities just feels very icky that could just be me wait a minute though like you had no problem whenever they said 33 to what's his name on friday night lights so i think you're that's a nickname (laughs) I'm just kidding. <laughs> 33. Uh, that's Riggins. Oh, was he 33? Yeah. I just I just always remember number one. I'm sorry. It's all about Maddie Saracen for me. So. <laughs> um, no, but I think like when with the when I'm I mean, I only I only glean this from watching movies, but sometimes I think that's what they they do is like, you know, it, inmate 6543. You've now been we're we're looking at fifty plus days of being part of this fleet. Now you've mm-hmm. got these people, you've got this whole system in place of like keeping them in their cages and whatnot. Yeah. Make a list of your prisoners. Get their name I don't know. I maybe that's too much work for a bus driver. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't well, know their names. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it's to, it's to show the struggle, right? That yeah. they yeah, so yeah, it's definitely... reducing. It's it's taking the humanity out of these people who, yeah, you know, I don't know what all their crimes were. Obviously, this Mason guy is a bad guy, and Tom Zarek, mm-hmm. you know, bombed Sagittarion, but that doesn't mean that all of them are horrible. And right. I, if uh, the Capricorn or whatever this galaxy's prison system is anything like our prison system, which. I would imagine it was since it was created by a United States citizen to write the show. Um, maybe some people are in here for things that they didn't deserve to be in there for. Yeah. You know, my, my, what my brain went to actually, it's like uh, the movie Con Air. <laughs> so <laughs> God, it's like Con Air in a really long time. Yeah. I can't, I can't say the same, but um <laughs> 
It's but I mean the it, the idea of it, you know, when you look at the the makeup of everybody that's on that airplane, like there there's varying degrees of uh, guilt, right? So there's the some people are the worst worst, and then you have like Cameron Poe, the Nick Cage character, who's he definitely did something wrong, but it's like you know questionable if he should have actually been put to jail for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his uh, they never really say what uh, his his buddy. I don't know if they ever say what he's in for, but he's actually about to get out, I think. No, Poe is about to get out. Um, his buddy should have been, like, low max. And so, anyways, um, that was the question I think Apollo kind of brought up, was, like, we don't even know, like, what all these people are in for. Some of them yeah. actually should be free. So, yeah, it's like uh, it's like Con Air. <laughs> oh, that movie's not good. Um, it's not good at all, but it's very entertaining. <laughs> well, now I'm just thinking about it. I saw it in the theater. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Lee speaks to the prisoners over the loudspeaker and gives his pitch. No one comes out of their cells except for one person, way down at the end, very, very dramatically for the audience so we can get our first look at the OG Apollo... Yeah. Now, terrorist Tom Zarek, who declines the offer on behalf of the entire prison population. Yeah, mind mind blown when he walked out. So, you knew that Richard Hatch was going to be in some capacity on this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is knew- pretty early on. I my memory of when Bastille Day starts was much later in the season. So this they brought him in pretty early. Yeah, I thought, yeah, my, it's actually funny. My memory was, like, that it was episode four, so it wasn't, like, that far off of where mm-hmm. I was thinking. But, yeah, just, uh, like, when it, I, so I knew he was going to be on the show. Um, again, I didn't, I didn't watch a ton of spoilers and, or, you know, watch trailers and stuff. So I think, I do think I knew he was going to be a prisoner, but I just didn't know the, the degree of it. And so when you're watching the, ep, you know, that even that opening, you hear about the things that he did, like terrorists and blew people up. And so you're like, oh, you know, because like, you know, original Apollo was um, as as pure as, I mean, he's even more pure, purer than Apollo on our show. Hmm. now so it was it was like the casting um the depiction of this character was a a stark contrast to who he was before and like he i remember we watched the episode and talking amongst friends and we all were like wow he's actually a really good actor (laughs) that was the (laughs) other part because i mean you know we're talking 30 years prior he was he's he's great as Apollo, but you know there wasn't anything really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for him um, at the time, and so it really showed that he's actually a pretty good actor. Only other thing I think I'd seen him on was like Streets of San Francisco or something, but back then. But uh, yeah, when I went to Dragon Con um, for the Battlestar panel. They talked a lot about him because mm-hmm. he had died, I think, the year prior. Mm-hmm. And he had been a big presence at Dragon Con every year. Mm-hmm. He went mm-hmm. every year, apparently. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so the con itself, they had a whole, like, um, somebody spoke about him before the panel started. Like, he was just a, a big deal. And then the cast members that were there all talked about how, just how great he was. What a good person, how friendly, how helpful on set, just like they were all still feeling that loss and Mm -hmm. also just had nothing but like really glowing things to say about him. And, you know, we've all learned over the last several years that a lot of times somebody could be a terrible person and they die and everybody's going to talk about them glowingly because there's this weird thing about like, don't, don't talk ill of the dead or whatever, Mm -hmm. which I think shouldn't apply if they're a terrible person. They're, terrible person why are we going to pretend they weren't um but i've never heard anything bad about him so yeah he's i met him briefly uh some years ago yeah and he's uh he's a he was a great guy like he like the way that he i mean it, the the other piece of all of it is that he was he was spearheading getting battlestar galactica back onto the airwaves and so he like he was like he was the adama for the in real life of like trying to get the show to its destination and so there was a feeling of letdown a little bit when they didn't get to continue like the og version and so the fact that he was brought into this new one one lent it some credibility but two he's one of the you know one of the greater characters for the for the show. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't even imagine this show without Tom Zarek. Yeah. He and is I, so pivotal in so many instances. Yeah. And yeah, his. And his like, and we'll be able to just really track this, but his progression from where we meet him as a well-known terrorist to where he ends up Mm -hmm. like the height he gets to and then his downfall it's just really really fascinating and i wonder if and i i haven't had a chance to do any research on this this week because like i told you off air i've just had a crazy week but i wonder if they had always planned on having a tom zarek character and they went to richard hatch and said hey what do you think do you mm-hmm. want to play this guy or if they created this character for him mm-hmm. and then when they had him they later on are like what if he's one of the quorum and what if he's running for vice president and all of it yeah and the, yeah all of that stuff is great yeah it just like the fact that he he like the position that he's in where we know he is guilty of a thing, but we have to confront this ourselves in life where, um, you know, people should be able to receive second chances and that kind of stuff. And he stays for the most part on the straight and narrow with, um, in public anyways, we know he's, uh, involved in a black market, uh, <laughs> later. Um, and then he also like, he, he, he's definitely shady. Like there's, um, I think in season two, he, um, is intri- integral in, I think wanting to off Adama, I think with, um, Dexter's dad. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like mid. That's early season two, I think. Um, but yeah, anyways. Yeah. So uh, he he has, I mean, and they, they kind of show it in this episode. He has a he has a moral center and a belief. And it's not like he's just he's he's but he's also savvy, right? So he like he can be manipulative, but he actually believes in the things that he's doing. And it's really like really complex actually. It's um it's not kind of one note. And then later in the episode, Lee adds another layer to all of that, which I really found fascinating. Mm-hmm. So um, So speaking of that, um Lee decides that, or notices, you know, with Zarek being the only one who comes out of his cell, he's the he's the one to talk to. If we get him on board, then we'll get the rest of them on board. So he goes to speak to him and appeals to his ego by talking about how he read the book that Zarek wrote in labor camp while he was in college. And Zarek's like, oh, glad to know I'm enhancing education. And Lee's like, no, nah, it was banned. But I read it anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but he does admit that there were some good ideas in there. But Zarek is not budging. He says that the prisoners are already slaves and they're ready to fight for their freedom. Mm-hmm. So while this is happening, the guard who brought Lee to Zarek knocks out another guard and opens all the cell doors, allowing this riot to start. And Lee tries to fight the prisoners, but he's just one man. And he's very tiny, and he's overpowered <laughs> pretty quickly. And then he's the got other... some bite skills, though. He does. He gets yeah. some hits in, but once it's yeah. you know three on one, there's just really nothing he can do. Yeah, he's he is not Steve Rogers. He can't get out of this fight, <laughs> which really just makes me want to watch that elevator fight. But anyway, <laughs> um. The other people who came with him, I didn't know, like, they're not all from the Galactica, so I couldn't be like, the Galactica delegation, like, whatever. The other official people that came with Lee are put in cells, and I think it's Billy's wondering why they would want to start a riot to fight for their freedom when they were being offered a way to freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's like the conversation it carries over from a little bit earlier with D and him they're mm-hmm. just kind of going back and forth talking about I guess the nature of imprisonment <laughs> yeah and uh, earlier Billy is like well basically describes him as more of like a political prisoner and D is like he's a butcher yeah like he bombed Sagittarion and Billy does this like white person <laughs> thing of like <laughs> Well, actually, and she's like, don't tell me what about my people. Yeah, I wrote Billy Dunn stepped in it. Yeah. (laughs) And then I wrote you people. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that Dee even dates him after that is really a sign of the times. Because now she'd be like, "Uh, boy, bye. We're, nothing's happening here. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) she hasn't she hasn't wandered away from him yet 
but I was anyway. uh, talking. I was talking to a friend of mine about the show just the other day, and he was telling me how he had a crush on Billy. Uh, well, <laughs> Billy was very cute back then. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's maybe she like she just was overpowered by his. Uh, his <laughs> well, this is like looks. the. This is like the time of like Jim Halpert, you know, like yeah, sort of cute, unoffensive, like not dangerous guy. We all sort of, I mean, I guess I can't say all, but I, I that was like catnip. I <laughs> I loved a like nerdy, cute guy, but I was a different person twenty years ago, so. It's um, funny because even even in those those scenes in jail, it's uh, he's like he's <laughs> you can tell he hasn't had much adversity in his life because yeah. <laughs> even like even like Callie and uh, and D are just kind of like Meh, we're here, you know. Oh yeah, um, the best he, part he, is when Callie gets taken off and yeah, um, and D's like. She'll be okay. She's been trained. And yeah. meanwhile, Billy is like, Captain Adama! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, it yeah. It reminds he's... me of that, that scene from Friends. This is my first time referring to Friends. Great. But that scene from Friends where Phoebe and Ross are walking from dinner and they get mugged. And as soon as the guy comes up and is like, give me your wallet, <laughs> um, Ross is like, help, help. <laughs> Uh, I wrote, I wrote uh, you, Billy, you sweet summer child. That's what I wrote. <laughs> yeah. So then um, we go back to the Galactica <laughs> and Starbuck is giving the morning briefing, I assume, because Lee is busy. Yeah. And I wrote down that she's totally top gunned out in her flight jacket and aviators. <laughs> <laughs> she totally was. <laughs> and, and she had her little uh, sidekick with her. Yes, I yeah, a, bo- a boxy sighting. Yeah, I my notes on this was this. They were still trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the way he walked down the corridor with her, I was like, oh yeah, boxy. And then I was like, yeah. And then he's standing next to her at the podium. And then uh, he, the, you know, kind of to go back to the story Bible, he does mention uh, Sharon Boomer. I can't remember exactly why, but it was just sort of like, I think, to connect the two somehow. Um, Ty asks where Boomer is. Yeah. He says he's looking for Boomer. And Boxy says, well, it's 1,400 hours. She's in the tool locker or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have finished season one. In mm-hmm. my rewatch, in my watch ahead, and I, I might be wrong about this, but I think this is the last time we see Boxy for a while. Yeah, I it's think we episode. might see him. Yeah, if not this one, we might see him one more time. I can kind of remember him. Oh, maybe maybe I'm thinking of the miniseries, but I do think we see him with with uh, Sharon one more time. But I could be making it up. Oh, you already you already at the end. So yeah, if you haven't seen him in first season yeah he doesn't show up ever again i feel like if if he shows up again it's very short and like my memory has already erased him Mm -hmm. um yeah no he definitely does not show up after the first season so okay 
yeah goodbye and there's like no explanation whatsoever other than like it just doesn't work having this kid here like yeah they tapped out pretty yeah. quickly thing. And, like, well it was like him, they... having him here in the in the pilot's briefing like what the fuck yeah they were trying to be like edgy I, you know they, they were i think they were trying to go against type of the the original character who was like you know like golly gee shucks wholesome kid and so wanting to fit in that into this new aesthetic but obviously it just didn't make sense yeah. Um, and there's a character from a, a pretty pivotal character from the original show um, named Cassiopeia, and she, I think they pronounce it Cassiopeia on the show. But anyways, she was basically like Starbucks, you know, romantic foil. And I found it sh- striking that they never really introduced her in this show. She was a pretty big part of it. Hmm. But just like Boxy, they didn't really have, like, an organic place to put her. Same, Actually, the same with Athena um, from the original show. She was Apollo's sister. Yeah. She, you know, they kind of re- retooled the name um, for later. But uh, the Cassiopeia character, we'll, I will talk about it when we get there, was kind of was kind of used for black market, actually, which was kind of interesting. But Okay. Yeah. Um, but again, they were always trying to like go down that darker path and for some people it just didn't work and they were pretty smart about just like hitting the eject button and not trying to force anything too much. Yeah. I think the idea of having a kid on a show is a sort of old TV thing to do. Mm-hmm. Especially having a kid in in a situation where you wouldn't normally have a kid, like on a battleship. Yeah. Um, I know in the 70s and 80s, this was like just something that often happened. Like they thought that, I don't know why they thought, let's have a kid. I, whatever. Well, they, I mean, it was always just because they thought like that's who kids would relate to. So yeah. they, they just wanted to get that market. We um, uh, This podcast I... Uh, do called uh, TV Obscura, and I remember doing an um, cartoon. The Flash, there's a Flash Gordon cartoon in the late seventies, um, and the first season was really based on like the comic strips, mm-hmm. um, like more quote unquote adult. Um, but the second season, they brought in like you know like cute character to like bring in kids. You could really see like the difference in tone and everything, and it like very pandering um Mm -hmm. it's like yeah they like so it's like they didn't trust i don't because i in my memory i only ever remember the first season and then watch the second season i was like oh this is terrible um and as a kid i felt that way too um yeah they always like do that because they think kids will just relate to them better yeah it's i'm sure it's still a problem in a lot of ways i just don't watch a lot of shows that go in that direction. Mm-hmm. So I haven't, it hasn't really stood out to me as much in the last like 20 years or so. Yeah. Anyway, Ty is looking for Boomer and then he also is criticizing Starbucks leadership style. And she says that she learned in officer candidate school that there are better ways to reach your crew besides yelling at them. 
And they bicker, and she points out that he's drunk on duty again. Yeah. Also, I have a little side, a little aside in that that room. There was a pilot that we're going to see. Um, I think it's in the next episode. Um, Flat top. Mm. R.I.P. Yeah. Um, it just it just kind of goes back to how they were they were really good at like peppering in characters mm-hmm. and things that were going to play out later so it didn't feel like they just were jumping in with something out of nowhere. Right. They're not truly a red shirt because at least we've seen them once or twice before. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Adama meets with Baltar to get a status update on the Cylon detector and uh, Baltar is really trying to bullshit his way out of this conversation. But Adama's not budging you know, there's one, I'm sorry, there's one part in there that I thought was really cool where, like, you know, we already know how much of a survivor uh, Baltar is. And there's a, it's a really small thing. And I'm not 100% sure this is what happens, but he takes a sip of water, but he doesn't actually drink the water. <laughs> and it was like a really subtle, like... It was like the subtle thing that he did because he's trying to sh- like trying to show like how he's trying to worm his way out of something. Um, so it's almost like he's pretending to be human, um, what a human would do, but he's just being fake. You know, it's really it was like really subtle, and I I really enjoyed his performance. I didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that was a character thing or that. James Callis didn't want to keep drinking because, <laughs> you know, I don't know how many takes they had to do. It seemed like a character choice. Like okay. it wasn't like, it probably wasn't in the script or anything, but it just, it just showed like, cause he was embodying that, that squirmy awkwardness because mm-hmm. he was trying to wriggle out of like this conversation and it just seemed like, like it was like a, it was a nice touch, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. He finally admits that he doesn't know how to make the Cylon detector, but this angers Head Six, who reminds him basically that if he doesn't make this detector, people will start looking into him and his part in <clears throat> the destruction of the colonies. Mm-hmm. And then she, she forces him to repeat after her, which leads to him asking for a nuclear warhead. Which sounds really crazy. And then she's like, you figure out the rest. And the, he does. Yeah. The, the the cool part about that for me was like my read on it was that he, like it was total BS at first, but you see him actually working it out. Yeah. <laughs> like she's she's pushing him to do this, which makes it seem like, she just wants him to get his hands on a bomb so yeah. that so that she has her hands on a bomb. Mm-hmm. But then he has to explain why he needs the plutonium. And as he's talking about it, he realizes this is actually 100% what he needs to. Mm-hmm. It's like she gave him the keys to crack the code that he wasn't able to crack. Right. In order to and make so- something that doesn't benefit her yeah and so and again like when i go back to the 
thing with the water and like being squirmy. Like that's why it was so noteworthy to me because like when he in that sequence when he's all of a sudden working it out, he gets like supremely confident. And yeah. the, all that past three minutes or whatever of him like dropping the glass and all that stuff, it's like a completely different person, which just shows you like he actually like means this, you know. Um, I wrote down what he says the plutonium would be used for because it's all nonsense and yet it makes perfect sense. He says mm -hmm. that they know that Cylons are sensitive to certain types of radiation and he can use the plutonium to ionize the synthetic materials within their DNA to expose them. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Oh, who wrote this, by the way? You didn't say. Oh, uh, it was uh, written by uh, Tony Graffia okay. and directed by Alan Crocker, who um, apparently directed all the finales for Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise, which is cool for me because I like Star Trek. But, <laughs> yeah. So Tony here wrote this absolute science nonsense that makes 100% sense to me, like, Okay, yeah, that, yes, plutonium, what I know about plutonium is, I, I mean, I basically learned it from Back to the Future, and why wouldn't it be able to ionize the synthetic materials within a half-robot, half-human DNA? Like, it all just makes sense. It mm -hmm. sounds legit, and it doesn't sound like mumbo jumbo in the way that a lot of what Baltar talks about when he's just trying to be left alone. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and like you said, he gets very confident while he's saying all of this. And that leads to Adama saying, okay, we've got five warheads. You'll get yours. Um, he doesn't say he'll get yours. He says, you'll get your nuke. Oh, <laughs> now oh, no he says he said you can get your warhead that's what right later on with the pegasus there's a whole thing with gina and the bomb is that this yeah. bomb yeah that's that bomb okay. um and it, it, it's actually interesting you know kind of going back to that conversation i think we had in the first or second episode about um my interpretation of Head Six is that she is sort of like an like a legit angel spirit guide and is not a Cylon whatsoever. So if she could see, if she knew the way things were supposed to go, um, she it's sort of like yeah, you need to get this nuclear weapon because it's going to be pivotal pivotal for. Um, some stuff that's going to be happening later. And it's like, like her, her motive wouldn't be good or bad. It's just like something needs to happen. So we need to make it. And I think that's also why, like, sometimes she, like with the Olympic carrier incident and now, like she gets angry because it's like, she's sort of like, you know, trying to force him to do what he's supposed to do. So something can happen. Mm hmm yeah, so. I do like the quick shot of her where they have her go all Galadriel and mm -hmm. <laughs> her eyes all lit up. Mm -hmm. Scary. 
So yeah, Baltar is going to get his warhead. He's going to get his plutonium to make his detector. Then we go back to the Astral Queen where Zarek interrogates Lee about the government and realizes that there's a conflict between Adama and Roslyn. Lee should uh, really do better at his uh, being interrogated as a prisoner. Just giving Skills. so much information out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I if they train the women in the fleet, not in the fleet, in the military to know how to defend themselves should they be attacked in the way that Callie is almost attacked later. Maybe they need to train these officers on what to do if you're captured. So that you're not giving away secrets. Yeah. Oh, holy. He's just so pure. <laughs> Ty interrupts Boomer and Chief in their little meeting room and immediately dismisses Chief and then tells Boomer that she and Chief have not been fooling anyone. Everyone knows they were willing to look the other way when the ship was going to be decommissioned. But now they're in a war and it is inappropriate for her to have a relationship with Chief because she is his superior officer. This is like quintessential Colonel Ty. Like this, the the his tone and his uh, curtness of everything. Mm-hmm. It's so like so. It's like it's why it's why we love him. Mm-hmm. One thing that I one thing that I thought was kind of funny and I noticed about the scene was like so he the irony of him trying to make everybody um, like tighten everything up is that he's doing all this while drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the CIC, the crew listens to a message from Zarek demanding the president's resignation and for elections to be held. They managed to cut it off or jam it, but not before everybody in the fleet could hear it. Rosalind refuses to negotiate with terrorists and tells them that President Adar had offered Zarek a pardon if he would apologize for what he did, and Zarek refused. So she's definitely not going to negotiate with him now. I thought that was an interesting fact about him because it sort of leads to Lee's revelation later that, oh, you, you don't care about elections happening. Your mm. real point here is that you want to be a martyr so mm. that it destabilizes the government completely. Mm-hmm. Um, Starbucks has a plan to breach the Astral Queen and take out Zarek. And I think at first, is it Ty? Is like, you're. what are you talking about, we? Yeah. And <laughs> she's like, you don't have a sniper? I'm the yeah. only sniper you have? <laughs> and so he's like, well, fine. I, I don't know I, why, I don't know why, why Ty has a say when obviously Adama's like, on board with Starbuck leading this thing. Yeah. I mean, he was, Adama, was he like, he wasn't right in that scene. He like Adama had walked over. Right. I don't was know. he not I can't remember. in that scene? Cause Roslyn is standing there. Yeah. I think I don't, I can't remember. I think he was, he wasn't in the scene initially. So it was like Ty, I think, I think it was Ty and, Starbuck at first. So my impression was that they were kind of like having their own conversation and then Adama came over um, after. But um, anyway, I don't know. That's their relationship, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. 
like and then you know as an XO he he doesn't like he's he's supposed to be offering counter um ideas it's not it's not just like total compliance so it, you know it makes sense okay i just think it's funny that starbucks the sniper <laughs> <laughs> well at this point we have a fairly limited number of characters and she does say, I'm your best shot inside and outside of the cockpit. We know she's a really good pilot. So. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with it. It's just, it's just the, in my head, those two things don't necessarily equate. Right. And, and then it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, Starbuck can do anything. And, uh, you know, she can. She can. Yeah, she can. She's she's running. She runs some uh, other uh, marine ops later. Yeah, she's yeah, she's she's a good she's tactician. Right. Yeah, she thinks outside the box. It's where she lives. That's that's, that's a line. It's a line from later. Yeah, I was about to say that's literally <laughs> <laughs> literally what happens later. She's all concerned. <laughs> I, I I didn't want this. You know yeah. that kind of stuff. But anyways, we'll get there. So to give the strike team time, Adama calls the Astral Queen to speak with Zarek. Zarek knows this is what's happening, so he doesn't... It's like having a, a call traced in most TV shows. They know you can stay on for a certain amount of time before they can actually trace you. So mm-hmm. Zarek does not stay on the line with Adama for very long. But that's when Lee realizes that he has no intention of surviving the Marine strike and that he wants to be martyred. Meanwhile, down in the cells, this Mason guy has taken an interest in Callie. He like keeps her from sleeping, whatever. Takes her from his cell, from the cell, and that's when the strike team breaches the ship, and Callie is heard screaming. So Starbuck thinks that this means the prisoners are killing the hostages. Mm-hmm. Guy's a total creeper. Yeah. The prisoners all sort of go to the cell where Mason was and they find out that Callie bit part of his ear off when he attempted to rape her. And he shot her. I can't tell where. It looks like it's in the gut. Um, which I learned from Reservoir Dogs. You, you're not, it's not easy to survive a, a gut shot. So yeah, Callie's pretty a- lucky. Yeah, there's certain uh, shots you see in TV, <laughs> and you kind of know, you kind of know yeah. where they get hit if they're gonna. And that that was actually, I remember initially watching that episode and like seeing that shot made me. I was like, wow, they're gonna kill this character, right? You know, so it definitely lends itself to thinking like, oh, this is you know, this is peak. Uh, it's not just like in passing something happened and oh she'll be fine so it just kind of raised the stakes of everything Mm -hmm. so in all of this confusion lee manages to get a gun from one of the prisoners and holds it to zarek's head starbuck has lee and zarek in her gun sight and she's waiting for lee to do the job for her um lee though talks to zarek and basically tells him that he has two choices. He can order the prisoners to take the work duty and earn their points, and then he will get his elections, or he can die now. You'll get your points. <laughs> You'll get your elections. 
Actually, um, Jamie Bamber is very good in that scene. Yeah, he's great. Um, and he, uh, yeah, the, the, I mean, the entire episode really is about sparking the elections because that wasn't really on mm-hmm. the table at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and through those conversations, that's what came out. And obviously, it's going to be a plot point in a, of some episodes later. It's also, um, this is like a very Lee episode. It's sort of giving us an idea of who Lee is and where his moral compass is, where his lines are. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and that, it's a great point because he um, is at odds with the president, actually. So it's, again, he's like, yeah. he's about doing the right thing. Yeah. And, yeah. He he doesn't Jamie Bamber doesn't look like Tom Cruise, but he <laughs> looks a lot like Tom Cruise in these scenes to me. Uh-huh. Like a yeah. young Tom Cruise. Yeah. Very <laughs> handsome and not crazy. Can't see Jamie Bamber jumping on a couch. No. What's the but equivalent of Oprah in the the Colonial Fleet? Uh, <laughs> do we, we never meet her. Uh Deanna. Yeah, I was yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, Deanna is probably it, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Derek caves because he doesn't actually want to die. I think he was probably hoping that there would be a riot. Lots of people would die. But he would somehow come out unscathed, much like uh, Mr. Baltar. These two could start a little opportunist club on how to survive while other people around you are dying. <laughs> as broken as he, he he like Zarek was pretty broken by that whole confrontation I yeah. thought was interesting and it's something I never really noticed before but it's like it actually shows why he you know is the person that we see him be for the you know you know the near future so yeah I thought it was it really showed to me that he he never wanted to be a martyr himself because he cries after like he's Mm -hmm. so relieved that he after having a gun to his head he thought he Mm -hmm. was there was a chance that lee was going to kill him Mm -hmm. and then after that passes lee knocks him out of the way from being shot by the sniper yeah like he obviously didn't want to die he just wanted this to be both ways he wanted to be the martyr but not actually die for it and, you know, I'm going to give him, like, a little leeway just in the situation that they were in. He probably could have been, like, you know, what's, like, I've got nothing to lose. Um, yeah. Like, you know, the end of the world just happened. And so there was definitely, like, uh, a sense of being motivated by nihilism uh, initially. And, and, like, in a lot of strange ways, he found something to live for. Yeah. So Lee goes back to Colonial One and tells Adama and Roslyn that the Astral Queen has been emptied of its crew, handed over to the prisoners, but they've also removed all the weapons and the prisoners are 100% reliant on the fleet for food, water, and supplies. Adama unhelpfully is like, the ship is a weapon. (laughs) Dude, what, are they going to crash into you? They're not. I, I just love, like, that scene was just, like, a kid getting yelled at by his parents. And it, it was so, like, which, you know, kind of, that's who they all become to each other, I guess, yeah. at a certain point. But uh, 
it, it was it was like a, a, a rare moment early in the early days where um, one Adama is showing as much of emotion as he mm-hmm. does in those scenes, and also that he and um, Rosalind are on like the same page. Yeah, like, definitely had that like I'm so disappointed in you energy. Why did you take the car out, kid? <laughs> but <You're>... Lee, <laughs> Lee is right here. Unlike he is a teenager, 100% like right. stealing a car and going on a joyride, he is like, I have vowed to uphold the articles, yeah, the colonial articles, and they say that there will be an election. And when Rosalind is like, how dare you say that there's going to be an election? He's like, you are you are finishing out President Adar's term. And so in seven months, there will be an election because that's what it says in the articles. And if we're not going to follow the articles, then what are we actually doing here? He's 100% right. Mm-hmm. And he has them both because he's he's spouting the law at them. What are, like, if, they, if they oppose this, then they're dictators. Yeah. <laughs> It's actually funny that Adama's like, what are you, a lawyer now? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, uh, well, yeah. Pretty soon. Yeah, he's going to (laughs) be. Just wait until Baltar's on trial. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So when Adama leaves, he snarks that it looks like Leah's finally chosen a side. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yes, he has, but it's not either of their sides. Right. For Adama, it's just like, he just cares that it's not his side. Right. Right. That's, yeah. And you're not just following, you're not blindly following the military on this. And Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, like, I guess Adama would. He's a company man. Mm -hmm. And Lee has a little bit of thinking for himself. Thankfully. I mean, again, it's a a great, um, you know, uh, moral ethical play that again, the show does often, but it's like they did have to make the tough choice or whatever. She had to become the president and that stuff. And I think that like, even as an uh, audience viewer, you sort of think, Oh yeah, she's like the president. That's who she'll be forever. And I kind of got the impression that these two care, Rosalind kind of assumed that she, that's how she was going to roll. Like as long as she was alive anyways, and then Lee shows up to remind them that, no, like, if we're going to have this civilization, we need to, like, remember to be following the rules that were set up. So we sort of, like, ignored the rules initially, but now we're going to, like, get back on track. Which, now that I think about it, is the function that Ty was having on the ship. Like, he was kind of getting everybody back in line. Well, speaking of Ty, Starbuck goes to his quarters and offers him a drink from a flask. And he gets really excited. Until Great he, scene. Until he realizes it's water. <laughs> yeah. And what is this? And then he's really mad about it. And she's like, well, I have my flaws, too. And this is when he says that his are personal and hers are professional. And I have yeah. to admit, I don't really know what the point of this scene was. Um, so my take on it was for two things. One, um, just to show, uh, to signify that like the, like the water is no longer a scarcity anymore. There was actually a couple scenes where people were drinking water, which I found interesting, like with the Dama and Baltar. And that scene 
Adama drinks the water, but then the stuff that he doesn't finish, he pours back into the canister. But then this one, it's sort of like, oh, we know water's incoming, so like we can drink it freely. That's kind of how I took that scene. But then the other part was just to have a character moment between the two, but to also establish <laughs> that even when it's just like at the end of um the end of the I think it's the miniseries when they like try to make up but they make up in their weird way that they do where they still maintain like a break from each other. Mm-hmm. So in the miniseries it was it was Starbuck that was kind of being like F you still but yeah. then this this time it was Ty, you know. Mm-hmm. So just keeps it, you know, keeps it, keeps it lively between them. So we get to the final scene of the episode where Lee apologizes to Rosalind for his actions, which I don't think that he owed her any kind of apology. Mm -hmm. And then she asks him to sit and she tells him that she has cancer and may not be around in seven months for the election, but she Mm -hmm. doesn't want everyone to know because it will hurt the fleet's morale. So he can't tell anyone. Yeah. It's funny because I felt more like it compromises uh, her position as well as the like future of the government, the health of the fleet. So because the door has been opened for elections and you're thinking, oh, like, like who's going to be the next leader? And without her at, even getting to that seven months it could be, I mean, I didn't, I don't think that we thought it could be Zarek at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, in a few, in a, a few episodes later, we kind of, it becomes more of a reality, I think. You know, Baltar, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So I think that she was fighting that. That was, you know, yeah, um, a little, a little more than the cancer part. Well, was Baltar the worst this week? Um... No, he wasn't. He was, I mean, he, he was kind of, yeah, he was kind of cool when he, when he, when he got super confident, it was like, oh, that's why he's, he is who he is. It's probably who he is most of the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm, it would be interesting to have gotten a little more time with Baltar without six in his head. Mm-hmm. But we don't we don't really ever get a Baltar without six in one way or another, either corporeal or in in his head, yeah, but we did see that self assuredness a bit more in those early scenes on Caprica, yes, absolutely, so for full colors this week, I have Lee, <sighs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's his episode, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, he gets to be the guy, and he definitely was right about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, even like again, it was about making the hard, the hard choice for like admitting we need to have these elections, and also these prisoners should be treated more humanely. They're not just cattle. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Who would you throw out the airlock? What's wrong with Uh <laughs> Boxy. <laughs> it's gonna be my last it's my last <laughs> my last chance to throw him out every time. I, had I actually Mason. liked the character when I was a kid, but yeah, Boxy. Yeah, you probably Mason. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like, 
between the the kid who's annoying or the rapist i'm gonna go with the rapist <laughs> totally forgot about that guy yeah i guess i guess so i don't know foxy the way they did box it's just like he's the worst he's just the worst yeah. i'm sticking with mine okay his little his hair you just go ahead and throw kids out the airlock fine whatever. yeah that's that's what i do <laughs> and your favorite cylon this week uh, my favorite uh, my favorite Cylon was uh, a six Same. on Caprica. Yeah. Oh, on Caprica. Oh, we forgot to <laughs> yeah. talk about Hilo and and Sharon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because we go the Sharon and Hilo stuff was very very brief, mm-hmm. um, but it entered this idea uh, that they have a plan, <laughs> right? Um, the Cylons. The Cylons do, yeah. yeah, and like this, this whole thing is an experiment to see. Like, we'll like just talk about it really briefly, but like, yeah, he's they're walking through the city, um, that you know, downtown Vancouver, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, completely desolate and barren. And they kind of talk about how creepy that feels. Um, the lighting that they use for that, I always find whenever they were on Caprica, I always found interesting. The yellow, um, like post, yeah, the yellow post, uh post-nuclear uh, devastation. Um, they talk a little bit about um, how they have uh, meds for radiation. Um, Sharon completely collapses when she, like, like emotionally collapses when she sees uh, a body being eaten by rats. And yeah. then Hilo shoots his... I thought that was overkill, like, shooting his gun at the rats, especially when they probably should be trying to hide. But um, uh, Sharon Sharon reacts like way stronger than I think she should have reacted. And then after that moment, they cut away, and we see Doral and Six high above watching them. And then Doral comments, "Oh, she's good," and that kind of like shows you that. Like, this is all, I mean, we already knew, but, like, it kind of drives home the point that this whole thing is orchestrated as some kind of grand experiment, and they're trying to observe, like, Hilo. Yeah. I think that Sharon was overreacting on purpose. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But in the in the moments when she first did it, I was like, like, come on, and then... Right after, he's like, oh, yeah. Right. She's good. And then it's like, oh, yeah. Because she's trying to, like, get... She's trying to get Hilo to get sweet on her. hmm I mean, she doesn't have to try that hard. He's basically admitted that he had feelings for her. It's just that she was with Chief. Yeah. But uh, they do talk about how they haven't seen any people. And Hilo says it's been like that all over. It's interesting because it's not just that they haven't seen any people. They haven't seen any bodies until this one. Yeah. I want to believe that Hilo is smart enough to start wondering, like, could, it can't possibly be that everyone died. So either, like, where are people hiding out or where have the Cylons taken them? But I don't think mm-hmm. he ever actually goes there. He, I think he does say, because he says, like, he said something about them, like, maybe they've gone up into the hills. Yeah. Yeah. But it still is suspicious. Yeah, I mean, we've we've watched, 
watching like The Last of Us or or, or uh, Walking Dead, we're yeah. so used to like seeing like you know enclaves of humans still in the devastated cities and yeah. I don't know. I mean, for me, it, it's not so far fetched to think that this is different um, because I think because of the nature of the event. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but also that body out there in the middle of nowhere, like because there wasn't anything else ever, it just it did seem odd. Yeah. You know. So do you have any other thoughts about this episode? I just it was like cool to see, you know. Apollo on Apollo action. <laughs> you know, they like the the conversations that they had. It was it was um kind of, you know, a little meta in some ways when he has the, you know, he's talking about Apollo was one of the gods of Cobol. <laughs> and uh and he says that, you know, he he says all the things that Apollo was. He had a he had an arrow and he was a warrior blah blah blah, but he also I think he says he's like he was the god of healing, which was a which was an interesting point mm-hmm. he brought about, which is I think the the um the role that he serves definitely in this episode, but like in some other ones, he, he kinda a lot of times he's the one that kind of brings the people back together when they have their schism. Um not always. Sometimes he sometimes he gains fifty pounds. <laughs> And wants to run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I just thought that conversation was interesting and a little meta kind of because it was just like Zarek commenting on Apollo when that was who he was most known for playing. Um, and the idea that, uh, you know, uh, you know, the son, he's the son of Zeus. And when I think when uh, Adama calls, he's like Zeus, Zeus is calling or something to yeah. that effect. Yeah. Um, but then Rosalind at the very end of the episode um, says, but of course you are Captain Apollo to him. So it mm-hmm. kind of like you are all those things that Zarek said earlier in the episode. So um, and also, again, a little meta because we've been introduced to the original Apollo and it's like Rosalind telling us uh, that you are you're Apollo now. Look at me. You are Captain Apollo now. So, <laughs> so I just um, went to my official companion to see what was said about this episode. One of the things is about Tony Graffia writing this episode. She said that there was a lot of pressure because she was the first person to write an episode apart from Ron Moore. Mm. And she deliberately referred to it as Bastille Day because the plotline reminded her of the historic march on the Bastille, which triggered the French Revolution. So mm-hmm. that answers that question. Ron Moore also initially described Tom Zarek as a Nelson Mandela type. Oh, look at that. A prisoner with a conscience. They offered the role of Tom Zarek to Richard Hatch, although Hatch had previously declined to make a cameo appearance in the then male Alosha in the as the then male Alosha in the miniseries, mm. he was intrigued by Moore's description of Zarek and quickly signed on to play the potentially recurring character. Glad he did that. Yeah. Once his involvement was confirmed, Graffia and Moore decided that Zarek's main adversary adversary for the episode would be the new Apollo. 
the episode evolved to really feature Leah Dama and have him go up against the original Apollo. Ron wanted the episode to be about Lee having to take a stand against both his father and the president and reconciling the two sides of himself. Jamie Bamber was initially concerned about what Hatch's presence would mean for the series. He said, before I read the script, I had my misgivings because there's always the danger you might be accused of tokenism or doing it as a marketing ploy. Richard has also been, had also been quite vocal in his disappointment that we weren't making a continuation of the original show. But once I read the script, all my misgivings were gone. I thought Richard's character was very strong and interesting. And Richard was just so lovely to work with. Richard Hatch had glowing things to say about Jamie Bamber. He said he played the character very differently from how I played him. He made it clear to me that he was actually playing Lee, Lee Adama, and Apollo was his call sign. So that's that's interesting. They they did. I think you know it's it's likely happened before, but um, we're because we're kind of in this age now where we're seeing reboots and remakes of uh, older stuff mm-hmm. and. Like one thing I noticed is that um, I, I, I know they did it with Wednesday. There's something else I saw. I can't remember right now where it's like they they're bringing back a prominent person from that define like basically define that that role, um, and then casting them as somebody else that features in that new thing mm-hmm. instead of being like like you said like a token it's one of the first instances i can think of i'm sure it's happened before but like that they did with battlestar and make it's kind of like a good way to go yeah. um make them matter <laughs> and um also um have them be a part of the plot but don't have it center around them and it kind of it kind of um validates the new thing that you're doing but also acknowledges the old thing um that you took from yeah um and i see like i see some remakes and stuff and they don't quite pop to me because they don't do that kind of thing and i was watching the the new quantum leap and it it's the ties seem to be so at least the first few episodes i saw were so cut apart from the original that it just didn't resonate with me mm-hmm. like the magic kind of wasn't there um this new galactica like you know they had stuff like they they acknowledged like the music um that they like kind of made it a part of their world um kind of made it a little meta by making the battlestar galactica this old ship to kind of like even though it was existing in that time we, we would have thought oh yeah i guess the show the ship is you know old because we it, were first introduced to it 30 years ago mm-hmm. um like in a meta sense you know and the 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 showrunners actually do a really good job of um taking some really small sort of iconic moments from the original show but completely changing them turning them around but not building the whole show around the old stuff but just like a hint enough of a hint that you know that they acknowledge that there was another show in the past so it definitely feels faithful even though it's a large departure you know um and uh yeah we'll definitely i'm going to talk about this some more when we get to the uh, starbuck on the moon (laughs) because that in a in a way is um really it's like a uh, dramatic uh, retelling of one of the more iconic uh, original Battlestar Galactica episodes. So, okay. Um, 
Yeah. It, uh, like, again, I can talk for days. Well, one last thing <laughs> is that um, in the first draft of the script, Callie was killed. Oh, but wow. But several people, including Ron, felt that they didn't want the show to portray any of our female characters as victims because our women are very strong. So we changed mm. it to Callie fighting back, and I was actually very happy about that. That's from the yeah. the from Tony Graffia. Yeah, and that that is really cool because yeah, she. Although in real life, would she have? I mean, been famous enough. <laughs> I'm not. We're not going to talk about that. We don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe at some point we'll talk about what the hell she got up to, but we'll do that later when she goes out in the airlock. Right, yeah, I was about to, <laughs> I was about to say when it's when it's free and clear to like talk bad about her character, maybe we could like <laughs> her day will come. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, I really like this episode. I read um, AV Club. They did these like after the show was finished. They some one of the writers like went back and started watching and like writing up recaps on them. And they wrote up Water and Bastille Day together and liked Water better than Bastille Day, which I thought was just the absolute opposite of how I feel. Because hmm. I really liked this episode. It moved, had like a really good pace, really great ideas in it. It was a good character showcase, not just for Lee, but for this introduction of Tom Zarek. It makes him interesting enough that it would have been weird if we never saw him again. Um, there's, you know, it moves the plot along for Rosalind and her cancer diagnosis. It moves the stuff with Ty a little bit forward so that, you know, when we get to the point where Ellen comes back, he's come so far. And, you know, we see these little bits of him sort of hanging on to his alcoholism, but eventually he's just going to run out of that booze and he's just, he's going to learn that he's fine. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, here comes hurricane Ellen, which will be fun to talk <laughs> about. I just, yeah, I just think that this is a really good episode. I would give this episode a minus, maybe a B plus. Like it's, I just think it's really solid and it establishes a lot of things that I think turn out to be very important. My experience watching the first season was I, obviously I loved the first season of the show like in real time i remember loving it but it didn't obviously didn't reach the peak of oh my god until basically until like that last moment of the finale and then going into season two that's when like it just like everything was raised mm -hmm. so like um so you know i remember liking the first season and then going back in comparison to season two, it definitely, like, you saw that it was, like, on a much lower level. And watching it, this rewatch, I'm I really getting the feeling of, like, they literally were, I think you, I think you said this um, a couple episodes ago, uh, or at last episode about water, where it definitely has that feeling of, um, like, first couple episodes of a mm -hmm. show energy and like this one has that too but it's a lot it's very well written it's establishing things but there is a there is a sense that i have of like oh this is the one where 
Like, I can see them in a writing writer's room yeah. <laughs> kind of wondering, like, okay, what are we going to talk about this episode? Um, and it, it, there's a little feeling of that going on. I mean, that's, there's a feeling of that for the whole first season. There's nothing wrong with that because it literally is the beginning <laughs> of the show. But I think, like, what I, I said last episode was that, like, you know, they do need to start and lay the groundwork. Um, and like you just said... All of that stuff's planting seeds for stuff that's going to happen later. So, I yeah, there's no problem with that. I think it, like I think they did a good job of making a high stakes early episode um, that seemed relevant. It says in this um, companion that Ron Moore pitched a few different story ideas to the network when he was trying to sell them on the series. And the idea mm -hmm. of a ship with a bunch of prisoners having a prison break of some sort was one of the things he pitched. So I think it's also, um, it was an easy episode to write early on mm -hmm. and then be able to sort of turn it into a character piece as well. But it was, you know, one of the ones that helped sell the show. I think they're, they're really smart about this because they, they kind of dealt with, like, the practicalities of reestablishing what the civilization should be doing. And they kind of centered episodes around that. Um, but they also, I think, knew fairly early on that they can't – that can't be the whole show. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen some other shows, like, kind of try to tackle that same thing and not – do as good of a job, but I definitely see the influence. It's super random, but um, there was a Star Stargate. Uh, what's the, what was it called? Star. It was it was one where there was like a ship and it was flying through space. I can't remember. What, I didn't watch any of the Stargate shows. But they they kind of deal. I remember watching that show and being like, oh yeah, obviously it was because it came out right after Battlestar. Um, or maybe maybe during, and they definitely were trying to channel that because it was a lot darker and serious than the other um, Stargate shows. But um, they were dealing with that kind of stuff, like how are we going to get our fuel, uh, where are we going to get water, that kind of stuff in those first episodes. But there was like a bunch of those episodes, and I think they ran out of stuff to actually <laughs> do, so they had to kind of think of other, other means to have uh, conflict. So I don't know. Anyways, uh, I think... Battlestar did a really good job of, I, and I think it's because, again, they have that structure that they have with the A, B, and C story where they are able to organically plant um, things that will happen two or three episodes down the road that feels organic. Um, so, and especially these first few episodes, they're, again, just really kind of establishing what the show is. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Agreed. Next week is Active Contrition, which is the episode where Starbuck confesses her part in Zack's death to Adama. Mm. And then crashes on a planet. Mm -hmm. The episode after that, which is You Can't Go Home Again, really was, I think, the first episode for me having, you know, really sort of binged the first season after seeing Black Market. I'm pretty sure it was like that same weekend. I know it was the next day I went out and bought the season one box set at Target. So I think it was that weekend I probably watched half of the first season. 
it was mm-hmm. so that's like episode five it was when i really was like yes i am all in i think that you did that i know i did that and i think the studio did that as well <laughs> um from what i kind of recall i'll have to like re- look it up but i think that that's when everybody was like okay this is not this is not just like you know, a thing, yeah. you know, like it's a thing thing. And I, I remember like when I rewatched that one, I like I almost cry almost every time, like still don't because I'm dead inside. <laughs> but every time I watch it, I'm just like, oh, yeah. so yes, so I'm good. excited to talk about active contrition, but I'm more excited to talk about the one following that. But I'm always mm-hmm. excited to talk about every episode because I love this show and I love talking about it with you. I love talking about it with you too. Hey, and we all and we have we have like a large uh, a large growing group of people that I talk to that are listening to our show, <laughs> and they are talking about it with me as well. So, oh, um, I wish yeah. that I was part of those conversations because nobody I know is talking about it with me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there was there's some people that you know when it was on we we all watched it you know mm-hmm. not not like not together but we all loved the show and we'd like that was our thing you know but then I just other people and like texts and messages and like oh we love your I love it love your show love listening to it and I think it's really great I think I said this the last time but it's like it's like a lot of people just haven't really watched it in a while yeah. so it's um, like they're getting back into the show that we all just. Like it was such a phenomenon to be what it was, and we're lucky. We're lucky to have it, you know. Yeah, so, agreed. Yeah, um, yeah. I can't wait to get into all of the like really juicy parts of it later. So excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I keep thinking about like <laughs> I keep thinking about stuff like <laughs> yeah. I have that. So I have I actually for all the, all these years I have um, like a playlist of like. I call it like Battlestar Galactica's greatest hits of like, and I, you know, listen to it at the gym and stuff sometimes. And like, you know, when I get to certain music that's in certain episodes, it takes me right there. And I'm like, oh man, I can't wait till we talk about this. Yeah. You know, can't wait till I talk about that one. Oh, but these are like, you know, down the road and you got to get yep. there. So. It's too yeah. bad. We're only doing this one a week, but I just would yeah. not have time for more than one too bad but no i think it's perfect i think it's good well um it this show deserves like to have like to take time with it so all right well then until next week what do you hear nothing but the rain bye bye listening to the Geekscape Network.